title of my sermon today is The Essential Church, and I've given this sermon once, not on a Sunday. It was to our young adult ministry, and they begged me to do it on a Sunday. <laughs> so here I am doing it on a Sunday. I felt like it was really fitting, especially with Tim's sermon that he did last week. If you were here, he talked about being courageous, having this lion slayer lion heart, which is quite an intense uh, title. <laughs> but it's all about being filled with courage and boldness, and that as a believer, we're supposed to have that trait. And that, honestly, it's already inside of us. You just have to believe that it's there. Because when you believe, the Holy Spirit fills you. And how many of you know the Holy Spirit is lion-hearted? It's bold. It's gentle, but it's courageous, right? So two years ago, as you guys know, I mean, I was looking at the calendar. Like, almost two years ago, exactly, things shut down. We went in lockdown. And for us, we were on a trip in 2020, starting on March 2nd, we went to see my family over in Minnesota. And we went there, we were there until, um, until the 11th, and we brought all of our kids. Bennett was not even two months old yet. He was going to be two months old on the trip. And we get back, and the first question people are asking us is, you have toilet paper? And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> Why are you asking me that? And... Uh, I don't think I've ever been asked that question outside of my home. <laughs> Not to mention inside my home, other than by maybe my wife. <laughs> but I'm like, what are you talking about? Why do I need toilet paper? I mean, the things just got flipped upside down, right? It was, it was crazy. And it changed things. Lack of toilet paper, right? <laughs> but... The COVID pandemic changed the world. Whether you want to agree with that or not, it's your choice. But I believe that it changed things about people. It changed things about the church. changed things about our nation. I mean, if you thought we were united before, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> it doesn't take much to realize that. But it, it really changed things. And the big question came up at the time, is the church essential? Right? It was, the word essential got thrown around probably more in that year than probably most of our life. We never even used that word all the time. So the question was, is the church essential? And the verdict was what? Kind of not, right? They said, you're not that essential. Close your doors. But... The other things, here's, here's the other things that were open. We had a lot of different businesses. There were hospitals open. Pet stores were open. Grocery stores were open. Even liquor stores were open. Essential, right? <laughs> but the question was being asked, not by the church are we essential, but about the church. It wasn't those inside the church that were asking it, because if, I were to ask that question here, I would argue most of us, if not all of us, would probably say, yes, we're essential, of course we are, right? But that's not the decision that makes choice. That's not the, the group of people that have the say whether we keep our doors open or not, right? 
our answer as the church body isn't the one that really matters. And, and this is, I debated whether I was going to say this. A narcissist says a lot of good things about themselves, and a lot of other people aren't, right? We need to have this perspective of listening to what other people have to say. Listening to the criticism that comes from outside and ask ourselves, why was the church considered non-essential? Some of you might know Michelle Hebert. She was a youth pastor here before we got here for a year. And she's now a doctor over in California, bless her heart. (laughs) And during this whole pandemic, she was at our house and she brought up a really good question. If the church isn't considered essential, why is that? Why are we not essential anymore? And what part did we have to play in that? Because it mattered. I would argue that for years, year after year after year, the essentialness of the church being debated had been going on for a long time, and the pandemic just pushed it over the edge. And it was something that came to our attention, and and people just said, you're not essential anymore. We were lumped with movie theaters, shopping malls, gyms, and in the pandemic of when to reopen, (laughs) which are what? Entertainment-based things, right? That's not the church, right? What was considered essential at the time, like I said, was hospitals, grocery stores, pharmacies, pet stores, and in light of St. Patrick's Day, liquor stores. (laughs) Why? Now here's something I want to make mention of. And this is new information I didn't get last time I preached on this for the young adults that listened to it. But I thought about this. Why were liquor stores open? And then I remembered, oh, well, they get, well, there's a lot of tax money. It comes from alcohol. <laughs> 2019, the revenue from alcohol taxes was nearly $10 billion in America. 2020, when the pandemic happened, it dropped only 0.5 billion. <laughs> Only, right? <laughs> a lot of money. But it went from 9.99 billion in 2019 to 9.49 billion during the pandemic. And these statistics come from statista.com. You can go look at them yourself. That's only a 5% drop. <laughs> That's pretty, like, wow. That's it. The average small business suffered over 50% of their income during the pandemic. To put this into perspective with something maybe most of us have all ate at, McDonald's. Who's ate at McDonald's before? Anyone? I have three little kids. I ate at McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's net income worldwide as a company, the, the whole world, was $6.03 billion in 2019. And then in 2020, it dropped to $4.73 billion. It's a big cut, right? They've never even hit close to the income the nation makes on alcohol, which is crazy. And I'm not saying one way or another alcohol is good or bad. Don't listen to that. But the, the fact that the government here, our country said, church, we don't need you, but alcohol will take you. We need your help. 
that should be something that raises concern in the church, right? It should alarm us. It should get our attention. And it should cause us to ask questions of, why is that? Why has it come to that? Eleven years ago, Barna did a study, and it was titled, Do Churches Contribute to Their Communities? And this was their findings. The nationwide study shows that three-quarters, just over it was 78%, of U.S. adults believe the presence of a church is a very, which was 53%, or somewhat positive, 25%, for their community. So in total, 78% at least believed it was somewhat positive for their community or better. Now, I would argue that's probably not the case today. Guys, that was 11 years ago. Only just over a decade ago. And then I found this study, and I wish I had this when I did the sermon last August. There was another study that was done, and this study was done about a year ago. It was in the spring of last year. And the results came out in October. It says, are local pastors in touch with their community's needs? That was the questions that were pulled in. And here's what they found. Again, this is only a year ago. Obviously, we were early on into 2021. The pandemic was still going on. It's in some ways still going on, but not very much. <laughs> but it says, Christian pastors are out of touch with the needs of my community. That was the question that was asked. Christian pastors are out of touch with the needs of my community. 41% of U.S. adults agreed at least somewhat on that. That's a big change. <laughs> it's almost half. And then that was all U.S. And this was a survey done on 2,000 people, 2,007 people to be exact, in the springtime. As far as Christians that were in it, because they asked people what their religious affiliations were and all that, the practicing Christians was 27%. So if I were to ask the question in here, based off of this, about a fourth of us in here would say that that's true. <laughs> that Christian pastors are out of touch with the needs of my community. The next question they ask is, Christian pastors are only focused on growing their own churches and not on community transformation. U.S. adults answered 46%, at least somewhat agree with that. And then practicing Christians was almost 30% within the church. So the question I have for you guys is why? Why did it come to that? Why do you think over time it eventually got to that point where we're questioning are we essential or not? Things have changed a lot in the last two years, right? I mean, our church itself has changed a lot. That box wasn't there <laughs> two years ago with cameras on it. Hey, Brandon. <laughs> Things have changed. How did it get to this, and what do we need to do differently to change the perspective that the community has on the church, the world has on the church? Now, take this with a grain of salt, obviously, because don't take what the world says is gospel, okay? <laughs> But when we hear what they have to say, we should have time with them 
to be able to hear them out and speak to their hurts, to the things where they're like, you're not essential. There's usually a reason behind it to why they have that perspective. For many people, going to church and being the church are synonymous phrases. But that's not biblical. It's not scriptural. It's, it goes beyond just going to church, being the church. I tell my youth this sometimes, just because you sit in the garage doesn't mean you're a car, <laughs> right? But being the church goes well beyond just sitting here and listening to me or Tim or Daniel or whoever else is speaking. It is a key part of being the church. I don't want to undermine that. It's very important. And I think we learned in the last two years how essential going to church actually is. It's not the same when you just watch it on TV. Watch it on your computer screen or your phone, whatever you're doing. But it is a part of being the church in the same way that praying is a part of it and reading scripture is a part of it. Having a morally upright life is a part of it. And if you don't believe the church is supposed to be the moral standard, then you're not reading the Bible much. <laughs> but there's something missing when you look at all of that stuff. There, there's a part of the church that's missing when you just look at the do's of what the church is doing. The actions speak louder than words. If you go to James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, it says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith say that? He goes on to say, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by actions is dead. I think this last year, the last two years, really showed the areas of the church's faith that have been dead for a long time. It exposed things that were already there, that were maybe covered up. It showed the world that the church is not essential and necessary, and that should upset us not because, not because of how they perceive us, but because of how our actions have made them to perceive us. I think that reasoning is partially attached to the church and the way that we've conducted ourselves over decades. How our actions have perceived us. It should cause our faith to grow, and that happens when our actions grow too. And James is talking about having faith, saying, I have faith got awesome faith, and then somebody comes that's like, can you help me out? And then you say, oh sure, I'll pray for you. <laughs> and you've got everything that they need to be able to help them out. <laughs> if you look in the book of Acts, that's not what the church looked like. The church, it said that everyone had their needs taken care of that was there. The blessings that fell on the church fell on the people around them. But if all you're ever doing is being around each other, <laughs> those people are never going to get hit by the blessing, right? They're never going to be able to hear about it. They're never going to be able to experience about God's goodness and everything he do is good, like we were singing about, right? 
It should cause our faith to grow. And that happens when our actions grow too. It happens when we move closer to who God called us to be. As a church, Jesus said we are the light of the world, right? Nobody covers it up under a bowl. Nobody covers it up under a basket, depending on the translation you got. He said, you're the light of the world. But here's what he said to end it. He says, in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. It, it takes some effort on your part, right? In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's the big problem that I see. Here's, here's the number one reason why I feel like the church hasn't been considered essential. If you want to take away anything, take this. big reason why I believe it's no longer essential is because the faith of believers has become so privatized. It's just me and Jesus. Which, hey, don't get me wrong, being with Jesus is awesome, right? We're with him here today. But we can't have this so privatized faith where nobody can speak into our life and we can't speak into anybody else's because we're not even around them. A lot of people really enjoyed the pandemic and being able to sit in their PJs at home while listening to a sermon, right? There might even be some today with the weather. But church goes well beyond just hearing something. James said, don't be just hearers of the word, be doers. Do what you hear. And part of the reason why the church hasn't been considered essential is because we've just been feeding ourselves. Eating up what we hear, and it never comes out. It never amounts to anything. And the world around us is saying, I need you. I need help. I need what you have. And they might not even be saying that actually, but their actions are saying it. And all the while, we're we have a blind eye to it. I'll share an example here in a minute. But here's the interesting thing. The word for deeds in this verse is the same word that was used when John the Baptist heard about the deeds Jesus was doing, the works of Christ, and he sent his disciples to get information on it. Is your faith so privatized that it doesn't catch people's attention? Because that's our faith should be something that people notice, right? It should be something where people see our faith, they see our works, they see our deeds and say, that person's different. There's something different about them. Why do they act that way? Why are they able to do this with a smile on their face? I think it's in First Peter. It says to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope to which you've been called. And it's talking about to outsiders. Being prepared to say something for them. The works Jesus were, was doing were getting the attention of people. Like, right? Yep. <laughs> you read the Gospels, you see in there, I couldn't go outside without somebody noticing him. 
I couldn't even be in a building without people trying to crawl in through the roof. <laughs> right? The works Jesus were doing was doing was getting the attention of people. It was getting people's attention everywhere he went. I see the church is too focused on Jesus for ourselves. It's a me and Jesus, and when we come to Jesus, we're like, God, I need breakthrough. God, I need your help. Lord, protect me. Lord, save me. And there's people all around the world that are even just in our neighborhood that need our prayers too. Now, don't get me wrong. Praying for yourself is okay. <laughs> I don't want you to think it's not. Jesus even did it before he went to the cross. He prayed for himself, and he prayed for the disciples, and then he prayed for us. But if all you ever do is pray for yourself, there's a problem. The world out there needs our prayers, and they need our actions too. We can't just say, oh, sure, I'll pray for you. Go be well, like it says in James, right? I see the church is too focused on Jesus before ourselves. We pray for breakthrough. Yet our eyes are so blind to the things around us, the world around us. It might not even be that we're blind to it, but that we're not even giving any time to it. The devil really likes to get you so busy that you have no time to share your faith with others. <laughs> because he knows if he can just keep it to you, the kingdom of God is not going to grow like, like he's scared of. We oftentimes can have the, the same behavior as the Good Samaritan, where in the story there was the priest and the Levite that saw what was going on, and they decided to just go to the other side. And that's, I hope, nobody in here. But sometimes that happens. And sometimes it just happens unintentionally. But that's why I'm here, is to say, open your eyes. There's a world around you that we need to change their perspective of the church is essential. Amen. There's an article that I came across when I was doing this. Super, super good article. By a guy named Brett McCracken. I think his name's so cool. <laughs> it comes from the Gospel Coalition. It was an article on their website. And I'm not going to read all of it. It's super good. I'd love to read all of it, but... It's really powerful. But he has some really good things to say. He said that we have come to see embodied church gatherings as non-essential speaks to a few dynamics that the COVID-19 pandemic didn't create but is exposed. These dynamics were not imposed by some external anti-Christian boogeyman. In many cases, they are dynamics perpetuated by Christians themselves. Question. Is your faith too privatized? Because if it is too privatized, no wonder why people would say, I don't need you, because you clearly are coming to me when I'm in an hour of need for you. He goes on to say, if church is just a nice-to-have part of our self-styled spiritual journey, like I said, the things that it opened up with were all entertainment things, or movie theaters, it was just all things that were entertainment-based. Then, of course, something we can go without 
for a prolonged period. It's, of course, something we can go without, if that's all it is to us. How many of you know you can go without movies for a long time? <laughs> In fact, there were generations that did it before you. <laughs> Didn't exist at one point, right? Church is not essential, we assume, because Christianity is just as easily practiced solo at home. Give me a Bible, some inspiring worship music, and maybe a few spiritual podcasts, and I'm good. Do we really need church to be spiritually healthy? I would argue we do. It's a false perception that you are spiritually healthy when you're doing those things. Imagine if all you did was took protein shakes every day, forever. <laughs> It'd be a problem. <laughs> It wouldn't be good for you. Well, you'd be saying, look, I'm good. I'm bulking up. I'm getting strong. Yeah, but you're, there's a lot of nutrition missing. <laughs> Another thing he said was, when faith is relegated to a privatized personal consumeristic realm, everyone loses. Guys, when our church doors are closed and we're not being the church in our community, our community suffers greatly. It suffers really, really bad. If you didn't know, the church is what started a lot of care organizations in the country and even in the world. And Salvation Army started back in the 1800s, and it was started by a reverend. You saw the needs of the community, that there were poor people that needed help. He said, I'm going to do something about it. So he did. Even goodwill was started by a reverend. And it was all about teaching people to not just have a handout, but to get work and skill and trade to be able to make their own living. Good thing to have, right? It's not just a used clothing store. Society at large suffers when local churches aren't fully functioning. When we're not functioning at 100%, neither is our community. Unless, oh well, I can say that. <laughs> Society at large suffers. Here's the thing. The community was, we were screaming at the community and there were people protesting, right? We're essential. Yes, we're essential. Don't close our doors. You need us. And they're saying, prove it. You haven't been for years. Prove that we need you. Because I've been here, and so have you, and our paths have never crossed. You've never stepped into my life and changed the world around me. And we often can pray and say, God, send the people here. And he's saying, I sent you. That's what I did on the Great Commission. I sent you out. The easy thing is to get here and say, Lord, bring them to us, please. <laughs> right? It's, it's a lot harder to get out of here and go talk to people. <laughs> But it's, that is the church. That's what the church was meant to be. And even on your way here, you can make a difference. Obviously, we've got cars now. But in the book of Acts, the disciples were on their way to, I believe it was the synagogue, it was the temple. And on their way there, they came across the beggar. 
And what did they do? It was a lame beggar. He said, please give me something. I'm poor. I need your help. And he said, we don't have any money. <laughs> we were with Jesus. <laughs> but what I do have, I give to you. And the guy stood up and walked. And then what happened? He walked into the temple and there was revival in there. <laughs> but we're so focused on getting here sometimes, we miss the world around us. Our eyes get so focused on what we're looking for and what we need and what we've been asking for. We forget that Jesus did say, go into all the world, make disciples, heal them, take care of their needs, show them how much I love them. And that can't just be done in this building, right? Last thing I want to read from this article he ends the article by saying, we need more than just me and Jesus' faith. That has little bearing on the world and gives us little incentive to leave the house. We need faith that is rooted in strong, serving, multiplying local church communities. Amen? Let me say that again. We need faith that is rooted in strong, serving, multiplying local church communities. The sort of faith that makes such a difference in its tangible presence that everyone notices and laments its absence. When we're not here, is the world lamenting over it? Because <laughs> I think the last two years they didn't. And that should open our eyes. It should make us, it should bother us. If you feel uncomfortable now, good. <laughs> I'm not somebody that preaches fluff most of the time. <laughs> Jesus said in Mark 2.17, New Living Translation, I don't know if you guys have this one up there. You might not. It says, when Jesus heard this, and he was talking about the Pharisees were accusing him, and they were mad that he was hanging out with sinners. You guys ever had that? <laughs> Jesus heard this, and he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those who think, not who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Here's the thing. He was saying this as a result of when he called Matthew to be his disciple. He said, come follow me, and he left the tax booth. Tax collectors were despised by Jews. They were equated as the scum and terrible sinners, and they were a bunch of traitors because they were working with Rome for their benefits at the expense of their own people. And he said, I want you. <laughs> How many of you are glad Jesus said that about yourself? But he ends up going to Matthew's house and having dinner with him and a bunch of the scum of the earth. <laughs> and the Pharisees didn't like it. Which is why he ended up saying this. He said, I'm not here for those who think they're righteous, you. <laughs> I'm here for those who know they're sinners. Who know that they need somebody. Let me share a story with you. If you guys know the Butte Rescue Mission, it's ran by Brayden and Sid. Awesome people. They're doing a great job. I had a conversation with them two weeks ago. I met with him for coffee. The greatest coffee shop in town, Orofino. <laughs> And 
I asked him while I was there. I knew I was going to be doing this sermon. And I'm like, what are the greatest needs in our community that you see? What are the biggest needs that you see in view? Because you're, you're right there in the thick of it. You're in the community. What are your eyes open to? Maybe mine aren't too. And he told me about how there was this kid, McDonald's. I'm a youth pastor. This breaks my heart. I don't know how old the kid was, but there was a kid that was at McDonald's. Hadn't ate for like three, four days. Been starving. And was stealing ketchup packets for food here in Butte. And I hear about this story, and I'm like, how many people were at McDonald's that day? Was there anyone in there when that kid was there? If I was there, would I have been so blind to this kid doing this that I wouldn't have even seen it? When you go in the community, do you look around? To see God and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, is there somebody here you want me to talk to? Like James Petty came. He talks to people in the community all the time. (laughs) Goes out into his community with open eyes to say, Lord, is there somebody here you want me to touch today? Is there somebody here you want to? But he goes out now with the expectation of he does. God There's going to be miracles that happen. God, I'm going to meet the needs of somebody. God, I'm going to pray for someone that needs you. Are you in a privatized faith that would be so blind to the needs around you? These things happen. And here's the thing. It was only like two months ago that this happened with this kid. He told me that, and I was like upset inside. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? If I was there, I would have done something. And then I thought to myself, would I have done something? Not because I wouldn't want to, but because would I even have seen it? <laughs> would I have even have noticed it? Would I have been sensitive to the needs of the people around me to do something about it? Guys, it's stories like this that explain why the church isn't considered essential. That the kid decided to go to McDonald's to get help. Rather than the church. That should raise our attention, right? 1 John 3, 16 through 18. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I feel like this verse is a picture of the essential church. This is the essential church right here. This is what it looks like. You love in deed and in truth. The truth of the church will not amount to anything if it's paralytic. If it doesn't move. If it doesn't move you to do something with the truth you have. What is our role? That's the big question we need to ask. And the water. <laughs> My mouth is getting dry. 
What is our role? What are we supposed to do as a church? It's been a week for me. This is a huge question, and I think it really takes a huge answer. It's always so awkward drinking water on stage. I feel like I should be in an Aquafina commercial. It takes a huge answer to answer this big question, though. Because we should be asking ourselves, God, what can I do different? And asking the Lord and asking ourselves, where can we make a change so that the community has a changed perspective of the church? Because that's what we should have, right? We should have a desire for the church to be seen as more essential. So that when the poop hits the fan again, <laughs> we do something about it. They say, we need you, we want you, help us. And we say, absolutely. <laughs> I want to read a passage of scripture. This is a pretty big chunk of scripture here. It's Isaiah 58, New Living Translation. I want you guys just to close your eyes and listen to it. It's really powerful. So here it goes. Isaiah 58, starting at verse 1. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretend they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice. I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Pay attention. <laughs> Free those who are wrongfully imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry, and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Some of us need to hear that one. <laughs> then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply, Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry 
and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath. And speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestors, Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Interesting thing about this chapter is it's talking about fasting and Sabbathing. Feeding the homeless when you're not eating yourself. <laughs> I'm like, what? That sounds like a terrible way to fast. <laughs> I remember a time when I, I worked at a, if you guys have ever heard of this, it's called Culver's. I worked as a shift manager at one for a while, just outside of high school. And I was uh, planning to fast on one of the days that I was working. And so it was a shorter shift, though. But then as the shift manager, anyone that doesn't come in, you're left to pick it up if anyone ends up calling in. I ended up working 14 hours <laughs> on the day I was fasting. And I was in the kitchen that day. <laughs> and I was just like pressing burgers, flipping them. Lord, I love you. I love you. <laughs> it was so painful. But guys, that day of fasting, I was probably the most joyous in any fasting day I'd ever experienced. <laughs> because I was so reliant on God and his goodness, and my doing it was all for him. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for me to look good and be like, God, I fasted for you. I've been so hard on myself. <laughs> That's what the nation of Israel was doing. I read that and I go, fasting for yourself? <laughs> Sounds like a terrible way to fast. And who does that? But it happens, clearly. I challenge you to read this in your own time. And then ask God some questions. The questions I have, I want you guys to walk out of here with these questions in mind. Number one, is your faith too privatized? Is it to you and Jesus? There's nobody else there. And this even goes beyond your family. As a father, I want my kids to see the needs around them. And my daughter does. I was told the last, last uh, parent-teacher conference for preschool with her teacher that when there was a kid that was hurt and in need, she's like, oh, the, the kid's hurt to her teacher. She said, can we pray for her? <laughs> Five-year-old daughter. I'm like, yes. <laughs> but we should be raising our families to not be blind. Raising our families to see the needs around them and to do something about it. Because it's one thing if you see the needs and don't do anything about it. It's like the priest and the Levite in the Good Samaritan story. It's another thing if you're completely blind to it altogether. 
I don't know which one's worse, to be honest. Either one, they don't do anything, <laughs> right? Well, that's the first question I have for you. Is your faith too privatized? Question two, how can we change our community to see the church as more essential? And I want you guys to give us your answer. Honestly, Tim's not here today. Flood his inbox. <laughs> but really, I want you guys to tell us, because we as a staff, we want to know what can we do to make a difference in this community. Tell us. Give us your ideas. And then we'll talk about them and say, oh yeah, we, we could definitely do that. But no, Tim's going to say, all right, go ahead, you do it. But then you say, do it with me. <laughs> I had to put that in there. <laughs> but we want your perspective. Because some of you guys see the needs in the community better than we do. And apparently, according to this research, we don't see it. <laughs> so show us. Tell us about the needs of the community. Say, hey, this is the need that we have. I think we should do something about it. Let's make a difference. And question three is, what can you do to have your own faith less privatized? Because there's always more we can do, right? What can you do to have your faith less privatized? I want everybody to stand up. I'm going to pray. This is me ending things. There's a song I'm going to read off the lyrics of the first verse to you guys. You've probably heard it before. Casting crowns start right here. I challenge you to go listen to it yourself. This is what it's all about. My sermon. I, I remember being in the car one day, the week I was supposed to preach this sermon back in August, and this song came on. I'm like, that's exactly what I need. <laughs> and due to licensing, copyright issues, we can't play it here. But listen to these lyrics. It says, we want our coffee in the lobby. Amen, right? <laughs> we watch our worship on a screen. We got a rock star preacher. It's not me. <laughs> we won't wake up. Who won't wake us from our dreams. We want our blessings in our pockets. We keep our missions overseas. But for the hurting in our cities, would we even cross the street? I'm going to pray, God, open our eyes to the needs in our community, that we would not love in just word and talk, but in deed and in truth. God, we have what the world needs, which is you. You filled us with your love and your spirit to be able to go into the world and preach the gospel and take care of the needs of people. God, I pray that we wouldn't be a people that focuses so much on ourselves and what we need, that we would be blind to the world around us and what's going on in our own restaurants. God, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying. Lord, I pray that we would ask when we're out in the community, is there somebody you want me to talk to and share you with? 
Is there somebody here that has a need that I can meet that need, bridge the gospel to them, and share your goodness with them? Lord, as we pray, we expect those opportunities this week. I pray that we would seize them, that we would do them. We'd make the most of every opportunity. The hope to which we've been called. In Jesus' name, amen.